This is a Clark University podcast. I think we need to focus now on the problem we have with widespread mental health distress. Even among the oldest Americans, 80 and over, it's over twice as high as it was in 2019, pre-pandemic. It's highest among emerging adults ages 18 to 29. So it's a national crisis that we really haven't sufficiently recognized yet. It was easy to surmise that depression and anxiety rates would increase in 2020 following the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Jeffrey Jensen Arnett, a developmental psychologist and senior research scholar at Clark University, never expected rates to remain high more than three years later, long after pandemic restrictions lifted. During a review of government and scholarly data, Jeffrey found something even more surprising. Depression and anxiety rates among 18 to 29-year-olds are just about as high in 2023 as they were at the height of the pandemic. In fact, their mental distress is the highest among all age groups. Jeffrey's findings were published in a report commissioned and released by the Ruderman Family Foundation. One of the most striking and even shocking aspects of the report is that not only did rates of anxiety and depression go up steeply in 2020 when the pandemic first hit, especially among emerging adults ages 18 to 29. But the same pattern is persisting even now, over three years later. We're in mid-2023, and the rates of anxiety and depression are just about the same as they were at the height of the pandemic. I've always thought of the 20s as a very resilient age period because I've been interviewing them for 30 years. And I've been struck over and over again by how they bounce back from adversity. So many of them have had difficult childhoods, a difficult family life, a lot of conflict between their parents, a nasty divorce, an economic decline in the family, persistent poverty. I mean, those are all things that are pretty common for people who have grown up with. But in their 20s, I, I've found for a long time that that's a decade when people often bounce back. They leave the family household, so they're not subject directly to other family members' dysfunction or problems of various kinds. And so they often bounce back and are doing remarkably well by their mid-20s. So this is a surprise to me that three years plus after the pandemic hit, they would still be reporting vastly elevated rates of anxiety disorder symptoms and major depression symptoms. And that makes me wonder if this is going to be an exception to their general resilience. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Jeffrey is the scholar who coined the term emerging adulthood to describe the period of life from one's late teens to their 20s. 
His findings indicated that social isolation, the rapid transition to online learning, and job loss are major factors that contributed to their depression rates starting in 2020. I would have thought going into it that they would have been the lowest in the impact on mental health of COVID-19 because they're the least susceptible physically. They were and are the least likely to be hospitalized of any age group, including younger as well as older, and the least likely to die. They haven't yet established a life yet. I mean, they lost their jobs, but they were just making their way into the workforce anyways. And the 20s are an age where there are a lot of job changes anyways. So it wasn't like they were losing jobs they'd had for 20, 25 years and they were five or 10 years away from retirement. They were losing jobs they had for a few months and they were thrown out of their educational paths as well. And I'm sure that was difficult. I'm not at all dismissing the difficulty of that. But educational institutions around the country made a remarkably rapid transition to remote learning. I still don't understand how it was harder for them than for any older age group. So I think we need to find out. Let's ask them, how did COVID-19 affect your mental health functioning? Were there ways that it made you more or less anxious or depressed? I mean, I would love to have that answer to that question. Right now, we don't have it, and we urgently need it. We need to know this information for the next pandemic, but we also need to recognize that this pandemic is not over. It's not over in the hospitalizations and deaths, and it's even more not over with respect to mental health. Jeffrey spotted another trend in his research. Anxiety and depression rates were higher for one gender. Young women and in fact, females of all ages from middle childhood onward report higher levels of mental health distress, both anxiety and depression. That's true from middle childhood through old age. So you would expect that there would be higher rates of anxiety and depression in a pandemic among women in all age groups. But the interesting thing is there's some studies that have data from before the pandemic and then during the pandemic. And they show that among women, the increase in anxiety and depression was greater than for men. So not just that they were higher, but that actually the gap between them and men got wider. Even though men have risen as well in anxiety and depression, women have risen even more. And we don't know why that is. It's possible that factors outside the public health crisis have impacted this decline in mental health conditions, but Jeffrey still has questions. Why are people still distressed even though life has in so many ways gone back to normal? I mean, the economy looks as good or better than it did in 2019. People have gone back to school. The unemployment rate is now lower than it was pre-pandemic. We're not masking anymore, we can go to restaurants, we can travel. So what is going on? Where does the anxiety and the depression come from? The data source that I use mainly in, in my report is a government data source, and it's extremely valuable. The US Bureau of the Census started doing a continuous survey from about April 2020 onward asking these questions about anxiety and depression. And they took items from 
these widely used screening measures of anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. And they're still doing it. And so in my report, I've gone all the way up to last month. We need to keep watching that. I would have thought it would have gone back to baseline so far, and it has not. Anxiety and depression are still sky high for emerging adults. Anxiety is over 30%, and depression is right around 30% of those who are reporting anxiety and depression serious enough to predict that they would receive a full diagnosis. So we want to see those things go down. Jeffrey has been studying young adults since the 1990s, when he started to notice that the age group was overwhelmingly staying in school longer and getting married and having children later. About 30 years ago, I was just out of my 20s myself, and I thought, wow, that sure was an interesting time of life. Why doesn't anybody study it? Because nobody really had as a separate stage of life. So I started studying it. One of the things that was already going on then and is still going on now is that more and more people were getting education beyond secondary school in order to prepare for the information and technology economy that we have now, the so-called knowledge economy. And rates of marriage and parenthood, the ages of entering those transitions were already rising, had risen a lot since 1960. And so for the last 30 years, I've been studying this topic in the 1990s, toward the end of the decade, after studying them for many years, I proposed the term emerging adulthood to apply to ages 18 to 29, arguing that it's different than what we've seen before because of longer education, later marriage, later later parenthood. We have now have this new life stage in between adolescence and a more established adulthood. So I've been studying it ever since, and now thousands of people all over the world are studying it. It's an idea that made sense to a lot of people that it's not merely an extended adolescence and it's not a settled young adulthood either. It tends to be very eventful. The 20s are a big decade for forming an identity. And that means learning more about yourself through trying out educational paths, trying out different jobs, different occupational paths, thinking about where you really want to live, having love relationships, falling in and out of love, getting a better idea of what kind of person is going to suit you best for the long term. So yes, unlike older age groups, they were just forming their identities in all those ways. So maybe that contributes to it, but I still don't understand it. To me, that's still not enough. I really would like to hear what they say about where the distress comes from. As the height of the pandemic gets further and further away in our rearview mirror, Jeffrey is continuing this research. He wants to understand why the impact on emerging adults was so severe, identify causes, and prepare for the next crisis. Now I'm going to take the data from the report and convert it to an academic paper. I think it's important for this to be peer-reviewed. Peer review is the standard in science. It's a great system. It helps validate and 
identify strengths and weaknesses in the work we do. I'm looking forward to having my anonymous peer reviewers look over what I've found. Maybe they can point me to data I haven't seen. Maybe they have explanations that will be helpful. I think by publishing it in a peer-reviewed paper, that will help get more attention to this continuing crisis and help mobilize people to address it. To learn more about psychology at Clark, visit clarku.edu psychology. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>